What's up? Welcome back. This is The Change Law. We feature the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of the software world. Today, we're joined by Gergay Oros, and we're talking about this insane tech hiring market that we're in right now. Gergay was on the show a year ago talking about growing as a software engineer and his book, The Tech Resume Inside Out. And now he's laser focused on Substack with actual advice for engineering managers and engineers with a focus on big tech and high growth startups. On today's show, we dig into his recent coverage of, quote, the perfect storm that's causing this insane tech hiring market. Big thanks to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. We love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Get $100 in credit at linode.com slash changelog. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. And get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at launchdarkly.com. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Influx Data and their upcoming Influx Days North America virtual event happening October 26th and 27th. Influx Days is an event focused on the impact of time series data. Find out why time series databases are the fastest growing database segment, providing real-time observability of your solutions. Get practical advice and insight from the engineers and developers behind InfluxDB, the leading time series database. Learn from real-world use cases and deep technology presentations from leading companies worldwide. You'll hear from folks like Tani Ng from WP Engine on how they transform monitoring into an observability platform with InfluxDB and Martin Mooka from Red Hat on how they're using Telegraph and InfluxDB to gain network visibility, just to name a few. Again, this event is happening October 26th and 27th. Learn more and register for free at InfluxDays.com. Again, InfluxDays.com. back on the change log a year later basically so i think this might be our annual thing if you're down for it i'm down for it i'm totally down for it it was fun last time as well last year november 4th recorded published december 2nd why would there be 28 days roughly between recording and publishing i don't know but just call that the end of the year blitz that happens around here at the change log so gets pretty crazy last year we were just off the tail of a backstage show not our backstage podcast but a backstage episode with spotify you listened to that show loved it i I think you reached out i reached out something happened on twitter you came on the show we talked about your book and things you're doing and you started your blog and now you're on youtube and you've got a newsletter and you're making money doing this stuff so one congrats as a content creator what do we call you these days yeah, I, th- I think they call it content creator. I don't like the term too much because I feel it just means that you're just creating content for the sake of it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was just telling my my daughter the other day that, well, I mean, I don't know what she's going to do when she grows up. But I guess a year later, I'm doing something that I didn't even know existed a word for it. So technically, I guess, content creator, writer for the time being, at least. I had this mini epiphany, I would say. I was thinking about my son's future and what he might do. So similar to your daughter. And I was thinking like, what is he, what is he going to do as a, as a profession when he grows up? And I was thinking like, but at least one version of it could be doers who can do well, can showcase how they do. And that's essentially what you do, right? You, you're looking at a market, you're analyzing it from your expertise, you know, your ex-Uber systems engineer, you were involved in the hiring process in many ways. So you can really showcase how 
to get hired well, the process to evaluate candidates, what gets hiring managers' attention. And you're a doer who's just showing how you do, and you're analyzing that market. I like that. And that's kind of the future of employment. It's definitely going to be one of it, and you can already see people doing it. I think it's down to the expertise level on, on how much expertise you have it when you do it. Because I do see a lot of people doing what I'm doing right now is mm-hmm. either on the side, whatnot, especially like like people who are just, I, I guess, a little more, bit more fluent with going on YouTube and TikTok. You know, they get a job at Facebook or some other company. It doesn't have to be anywhere. And they talk about how they did it. The difference that I have is I did this for about 15 years, a little, a little bit less. And now I'm, I'm talking about things. And one of the reasons I, I started doing this basically full time now is I just realized there's, there's a big demand for it. I have a lot of fun doing it because... I used to get, so after I left Uber, I, I would get a lot of requests for, for mentoring, for feedback. And I did some of those things, but I, I didn't really like doing it just in private, just for the benefit of, of that one person. I do like to have a lot of people benefit from it. And I get to meet really interesting people. So since I've left Uber, I've actually met a lot more people in the industry than while I was at Uber, not counting the people that I, I met at Uber. So it's been a really interesting year. You're too busy doing, man. That's why you're were, you were just doing you weren't a doer who does and then shows other people how you do. Doer and a talker. And that's when you transcend. That's when you go beyond simply someone with skill. You showcase how you have that skill and then you showcase what's behind there. And I think your Twitter's pretty active too. I can't help but like almost every tweet or thread recently of yours. I agree. I think you got a lot of insights into an industry that does have a vacuum that needs to be filled. And I, I'm happy to see you out there filling that that void because... well. I'll be honest, what I'm seeing, and this is my example as well. I became an engineering manager at Uber after I was an engineer for like eight or nine or something like that years. And I think Uber was a great place in the sense that we had a training program. We had an apprentice management program. I had access to mentors, but I couldn't help but think that I didn't really know what I was doing as a manager at Uber. And I think this is the case of tech in general. Most people, they're not going to admit it at least not on air, but I, I can now say that they will be uncomfortable and they don't know exactly what they're doing. They know roughly directional, but this is the state of, of tech. And, and this is normal because everything is changing. So if you look back how we're doing software development today in 2021, and let's say 10 years ago in, in 2011, before Stack Overflow, before those things, it was a very different model. Everyone's adopting. Literally, we just had a, a boom in remote work uh, thanks to COVID. People don't know how to deal with this. I, I, I talk with managers, with, with engineers, everyone just winging it. So I do think there's a need for people to have their opinion. Again, I'm not going to be right or, or wrong about this. And there's definitely a lack of just decent resources you can do. And the reason I started my newsletter, for example, is, is when I became manager at Uber, my manager told me, you can expense whatever you want, get some sort of resources to help you become a better manager. So I looked online. And I, I look for engineering management and I, I found some blogs where like people publish like one or two per, per week, but I couldn't find anything regular. And uh, I subscribed to Harvard Business Review, right? It's a management magazine. Every month I got multiple articles and I got the magazine as well. It was completely useless. It did not talk about software engineering management. It talked about this generic, man, there were some good ideas there, don't get me wrong, but it didn't talk about the stuff that I wanted to talk about, tech depth, yeah. people writing code, not being motivated, you know, the project being late in, in tech. And I feel tech is a little bit different from the rest of the world. So I'm interested in this. I'm actually really enthusiastic about it. And I also feel being outside a big tech company allows me to peek into a lot more companies. When I was at Uber, I couldn't just like, you know, share a bunch of stuff that happened inside here. I'm outside of Uber. So now if I get some information about Facebook, about this startup, I can kind of give my opinion and just share like, here's what I know that is somewhat public. 
Was it you or someone else that had this tweet? Now that I'm outside of X, I can say X. I think it was your tweet. That was me. That was me talking about promotion driven development, which. Can you reference the tweet real quick? What was the tweet? What did it say? Now that I'm outside of big tech and, and Uber, I can talk about some of the ne- negative things I've seen. On, and this is promotion driven development, how there are a lot of products being built for the sake of getting a promotion. I've seen it firsthand at Uber. It happens at every major company. But you can't really talk about this when you're in there because it it would have no benefit. This is negative, by the way. People talk about this inside the company. But this is like, it's like a fun thing to go on about. But if I talked about it publicly while I was, let's say, at Uber or another big company, it would just be a negative. Like, why am I airing out some dirty laundry that people are kind of aware of, but we don't, like, what's the point of talking about it? Mm -hmm. And yeah, and and it, it happens at every big company after a while it's not just big tech but a big tech is very visible you know we we have the typical why does google have so many chat applications and there's a lot of reasons like it's a bit more nuanced but if we kind of want to take a step back well it's because you don't really get promoted for fixing an existing chat application or kind of making it grow 10 percent. you do get promoted if you start something from scratch and you show a hockey stick for a year or two you get those promotions once it slows down, you just move on to the next team. Internal mobility, like literally. Mm-hmm. There's no incentive at some of these companies to to act as a founder. Your interests go for usually about four years maximum with your equity grant, but things are a bit more abstract, so your output does not directly influence the stock price when you're working in a larger place. Is that a fixable problem, or is it just inherent in large companies? Is there a way to attack or approach your company so that that does not happen? It's so hard, and... Companies do want to fix it. And you know, Google wants to fix it, for example. Like the interesting thing, if, if Google cannot fix it, is it really fixable? Because I think you have two forces that go against one another. One of them is the best companies know that it, that if you don't give people internal mobility, they're going to quit. Right. So if it's easier to change a job, you're, you're going to leave. So a lot of the best companies, Google, Facebook, and I'm talking work culture, right? Like let's not get into like some people have, have thoughts of, about these, but unless so on Stripe as well, for example, they want to have a great working environment. So they, they empower people. They want people to make an impact and they make really easy internal mobility. Now, the downside of this is that and they promote based on impact. Every single company says, if you're impactful, we're going to give you a fat bonus and you're going to go ahead because you're helping the business. Now, the incentive that this creates is, is people do go chasing impact. The smarter people will chase easier impact, the, the stuff that in a year it shows. And as soon as they see that there's a lot of work that would take blood, sweat and tears to it will take multiple years, let's say three or four years to get out there. Let's say, for example, the Kindle at Amazon. It's a project that if you kicked it off and the sales were initially low, it, it took years to pick up. If there was not a founder there, Jeff Bezos, who actually invested in this and said, we're, we're going to do it regardless of the impact, I don't think it might have happened. So to summarize your, your question, it is fixable by having a founder or someone with a very long-term incentive, you know, 10 years in incentive, the CEO who does not giving a four-year grant, but a 10-year grant, for example, like Tim Cook did at Apple. He had a 10-year grant and he made tons of money. I don't know what other companies give 10-year grants. And have these long-term incentivized leaders kind of give air cover rewards for things that might not be impactful in the short term. I think this is, from my observation, this is missing at Google, for example. It's missing at most tech companies as well. Mm -hmm. The ones that are doing well, there are one or more founders there. And I'll give you an example. DoorDash, for example, they have multiple founders there. Their valuation just surpassed Uber. I don't really know exactly how or why, but I can tell you that the people I talk with, they they felt a little bit more connected to the company and to the founders than 
take Uber, which does not have a founder anymore.、Mm-hmm. The founder is not at the company, so it's a different dynamic, and it's a hard one.、Mm-hmm. I don't know if、uh, if this speaks to DoorDash success, but I've spent a lot of money this year on DoorDash. I've DoorDash more in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty, more so in twenty twenty one than twenty twenty. Than I ever had before, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Right. So I mean, that could also lean into their success, revenue-wise and growth-wise. But I would say that this short-term thinking is a problem systemic to maybe even capitalism at large. Maybe not capitalism at large, but maybe at least at least IPO'd companies focus on the quarter, focus on current. There's a lot less long-term thinkers out there, and I don't understand. I guess I can kind of understand why, but. It's a challenge because if you only think about what can have an impact this year, or and I guess if you make employees think, well, the only way for me to get ahead is is short term thinking, you're going to have short term thinkers.、Mm-hmm. No, I, I think slow and steady does not win the race in tech. It's fast and delivers results. This is a result. And, and by the way, we talk about is this a problem? But I also reference in another tweet. But this is one of my thoughts. Like, is it really a problem? Is it really a problem that let's say Google? Or any tech company, they launch a project that they will abandon in in two years if it doesn't pick up as much. Is that a problem if another startup can go in there who does have the long term thinking? They're playing the long game. Let's take for example Calendly, which is a the calendar integration where you can schedule stuff. Google Calendar could have done that if if only some of the teams talked there. They didn't do it, so a startup was born. So I'm kind of thinking that the ecosystem evens out because those long term thinkers are the founders. Those founders are there these days. They can raise a lot of capital as well, and they're going to fill the gaps. You know, you, we look at Zoom, we look at、uh, some of the the recent successes from Robinhood, etc. So, at an ecosystem wise, I don't think we have a problem. And also, like, let's go back to the companies. Does Google have a problem with with this? You know, are their revenues going down? Or are they? No, they're seeing all time record highs. So, so maybe we're just kind of spinning cycles around. Well, could it be a little bit marginally better? Sure. Does it matter? Nah.、Mm. How do you define a founder then? So I mean, is founder? Let me throw out a couple ideas that might be the definition of a founder, and you can narrow in on one you you agree with or disagree with, and share with why. But I would say that some people would think a founder is just somebody there that is there when the company begins, or somebody could be anointed a founder or a co-founder years later to take it in a new direction. You know. So how do you define founder? Is it like? Original members of a company, or is it you get anointed at some point to have a founder role, and you have substantial equity and long-term thinking and play to the company? I would think of it as long-term thinking. So, like, obviously, most founders are are the people who start the company, but some of them burn out or they leave. I think that the key thing here is having someone who has a long-term vision, and that can be either because of their incentives. Typically, when you Bring people in later, but they really need to believe it. They they need to not care about the shorter term wins or optimizing for some of those things. And for example, I think a good a good example might be the Vimeo founder, a female founder who came in. She was one of the youngest founders of some of the big companies, and she turned the company around. As she was a CEO, she was not a founder, right? But she came in, and it it felt to me from the outside that she had a founder mindset, which is thinking long term.、Mm-hmm. She executed a complete shift. Taking the company for a very different one, so I think as long as people at the top of the company and and kind of trickling down have a long term mindset, that works. And one company that is interesting, I think, still does it pretty well. And I'm always amazed by how efficient they are. Is, is Amazon and. 
they do a couple of things really interesting to actually stimulate some of this thing. So like if, if you look at a lot of their products, it's long-term thinking. They don't mind taking early losses. And when you look at how employees are motivated, well, they do two things. First of all, at Amazon, every unit has a general manager, like an engineering typically, like someone report an engineering and product would report to them. It's not like a chain that goes up somewhere. It's, it's that product, however small it is. And the second one is their, their stock vesting. It's a very back-heavy vesting, which means they really incentivize you to stick around for at least two years. Unlike a lot of Silicon Valley companies where you can stay for four years, but after a year, you don't have much, much upside. So Amazon also sees quite a larger churn in the first two years, from what I understand from the industry. But they do have a lot of these longer-term leaders. And at Uber, for example, I had leaders join Uber who were at Amazon for 10 years, 10-plus years, executing multiple long-term initiatives. So I would say for a lot of companies and founders and, and even just models, do look at Amazon on how they're able to do it. And I'm not saying copy it, but they're doing something that seems to be working a little bit better than some of the rest of the industry. Then, for example, I would say Google or, or even Uber or some of these other companies mm-hmm. from my vantage viewpoint now that I'm outside uh, these companies. Yeah. So it's hierarchy and vesting to some degree, like hierarchy in terms of like who you report to, how insulated are you or how autonomous are you to make your own changes, your own thoughts, and then vesting, which leads to sort of ownership, right? And there's also this other term out there that I think about a lot as owners versus renters. Even though somebody might be a contractor or an actual employee, like they have an owner mindset or a renter mindset. Yep. And that's what makes me think of that too, is like if you give somebody an owner mindset, they think and they're incentivized to think long-term. Yeah, and, and Amazon does this really well. So they they do this from, and the reason I know this, I, I read this book from Twilio founder. Ask your developer. He basically spells it out. He's, this book is super honest. He actually shares that most of the great ideas about Twilio came from Amazon. And most of his ideas at Amazon came because he was a general manager of this really small product. It was not even a product. In most companies, you would put a, you would put a team of you know four or five people on it, and you would call an engineering manager and say, you're the engineering manager. He was a general manager of that product. And what Amazon does is once a small product does well, they're going to move you to the next one. And one thing you're going to notice is Amazon rarely hires external leadership because they have about a thousand leaders inside the company that keep kind of bubbling up as they succeed to higher and higher levels. And actually, companies are hiring away from Amazon, those leaders, because they just do a wonderful job building it up by giving ownership. And it's, it, it is equity. It is giving real ownership and calling them general managers and telling them you're responsible for everything, for the whole budget of this unit. And once you succeed, you get a bigger unit. So I think this is really simple stuff, but I don't think anyone has done it in tech at scale as Amazon has. And I think we're still kind of downplaying it. We're just like ignoring the fact that this is one of the reasons they're successful. We mock how AWS has uh, their org chart shipped, but do you see how quickly that chart, that org chart changes and they ship new and new things? They're a force. It's very interesting. And I keep coming back to this. I keep thinking about, is there a better way to do this? And I, I haven't found a better way just yet. Jeff Lawson, though, is who you're speaking about with the book. Yes. I didn't know, as I haven't read the book yet. I just heard about it recently, came out earlier this year, a future episode of Founders Talk with Zach Smith, co-founder, founder of Packet, acquired by Equinix, basically where the internet lives, Equinix Metal, Equinix at large, data centers across the entire world. Yeah. So I heard about Jeff's book. So I've talked to Jeff forever ago. I don't even know if Jeff would remember me potentially, but a long time ago, we had the Twilio founders on a show called 
the Web 2.0 show. It's still on the internet. Nice. We'll put a link in the show notes. But this is like super old Adam in podcasting. I don't even think I know what the heck I was talking about. So I can't even like recommend it as good listening, but just for nostalgia at best. So Jeff Lawson, one of the founders of Twilio. We know what Twilio is these days. Massive recent acquisition. Just, just a juggernaut. Yep. Really great at developer marketing. Really great with developers in general. A phenomenal brand with developers. Wrote this book that you mentioned, Ask Your Developer. I didn't know he was prior Amazon, though. And I think it's really interesting to see, like, his background. And that can also speak to, like, anyone who's thinking of starting a company. And by the way, if you're a senior engineer right now and you're not thinking about starting a company one day, now is the next couple of years is going to be a wonderful time. It's easy to raise capital relatively. There's still a lot of opportunities. So the background of Jeff on how he did it. He was a CTO or, or an early employee at a at a startup that it was a skater board shop and they did a website and he kind of went through the whole small startup that didn't go anywhere. Like he had that experience for three years. He, you know, like he worked hard and he saw, saw how hard startups were. Then he went to Amazon where he just learned the ropes. They, they put him in charge of this really, really small unit and he learned the, the Amazon way pretty much. He was there when when the API started and then his team started to do it. And I think he was also promoted, if I'm, I might be incorrect, but he was there for a few years and then he started Twilio. So when he started, he had the startup experience and he had the large company experience. And my personal take on the book, you know, you should get Jeff on the show to, to talk about this. But my, my feeling was that he was able to fall back on tons of stuff on what he saw at Amazon Walk Work. He put very similar structures in place early on. He also had the software development know-how, so he's able to call BS on stuff. And he is one of the one of the good examples of how a software engineer building a software company is often very successful. Twilio is massive in terms of market capitalization, developer love, all of those things. He always protected his team in terms of he didn't ask like unrealistic things. He didn't do the things that non-technical founders do, who I now talk to a bunch uh, these days, and it's, it's it's a very different world. So yeah, I think it served him well. So if what my takeaway is, if you want to build a startup uh, that can be a unicorn one day, work at a large company, work at a startup, and you now have the skills. You literally have the skills. Like work at a decent large company. Amazon is a good example for this. Or you know, Google might not be the best one because if you start to copy whatever Google is in your tiny startup, yeah, it's a coin toss. I, I wouldn't trust that fully because Amazon was still very scrappy. They, they built all their things, very independent team. They didn't have like central things to, to fall back on. This episode is brought to you by Retool. Retool is a low-code platform built specifically for developers that makes it fast and easy to build internal tools. Instead of building internal tools from scratch, the world's best teams, from startups to Fortune 500s, are using Retool to build their internal apps. Assemble your app in 30 seconds by dragging and dropping from the complete set of powerful pre-built components. From there, you write custom code, connect any data source, API, and build custom logic and queries to create exactly the right tools for your business. Spend your time getting UI in front of your stakeholders, not hunting down the best React table library. Retool is also highly hackable, so you're never limited by what's available out of the box. If you can write it in JavaScript and an API, you can build it in Retool. Try Retool out for yourself at retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog.
So I've been following your Twitter handle quite a bit lately. Really have been enjoying the threads and the storytelling. Here in the break, I had to clarify if a recent tweet I thought I read from you was about a bonus being withheld from somebody because they didn't ship a feature on time. And I just love the way you're tweeting about the stuff and just showing the insider baseball of like just hiring and the process of being an employee, vesting and like incentivizing employees and all that kind of stuff. So I just uh, really been digging it. So what's that story, though? What's the bonus being withheld? Yeah, so this was a story that happened in an actual company. The name is less important. It's it's a startup. It's a unicorn that is doing really well. And from the outside, this could be many of these companies, but from the outside, you think it's an amazing place. You probably want to work there because you read the articles, read the interviews with the CEO, and it's like it's it's awesome. You know, they're talking how they're disrupting everything. And the story is that when I worked at Uber, someone interviewed at Uber who was working at this company. And I always ask the people, so why are you looking to potentially leave your company? And you know, I, I've heard it all. It's from the, I'm not actually looking to leave. I'm just looking around to, I don't like my boss. I'm bored. I want more money. There's a couple of variations of that. But this, this person really shocked me because they said, it's because I didn't get a bonus. And I was like, Okay, well, I guess that's new. Can you elaborate? Because in my kind of book, I kind of make a note saying that is a bad sign. Like, come on, like who would want? And it's like, well, so here's a story. At my company, bonuses are tied to goals and each team has to set a goal. And we're kind of actually handed a goal down because it's a company where you need to set super ambitious goals. If it's not ambitious enough, they'll set a more ambitious for you. So ours was not ambitious enough. And they wanted to ship this product in, in I think, six months. And the leadership team came down and said, you're going to do it in three months. That's your goal. And, and they said it's impossible. The engineers looked at estimation, at the work, not going to happen. But leadership said, this is your goal, and you're not going to get a bonus if you're not going to do it. So they were like, this person was like, all right, with the team, with the side, we're going to do it. So for two months or three months, they worked through the weekends. They, they didn't see their kids. They worked extremely hard to hit this impossible goal. And then they did. They actually were ready with the product. I think a few days before, they had time to test it, to beta test it. It was all there. And the launch date was supposed to be 1st of March or something like that. Like, let's say 1st of March. And then they couldn't launch because the legal team did not get sign-off because this is a financial product to launch it on the market. And the legal team also worked their, their butts off. And they actually were able to launch on the 5th of March or 6th of March. No one got a bonus. They literally put in like extreme amount of, of time for a project that they said could not be done. They, they delivered. And by the way, the product was a success. But they didn't get the bonus and, and the story ended, well, this is why I'm interviewing. And this is why the whole team is interviewing. And I just could not believe how you can run a company. Like, like you're pushing people away who are doing great work. They were very motivated. And the bonus was not really the most important thing. It, it was respect. Yeah. It was hitting those things and getting the feedback. And they felt they got the feedback that you did a terrible job, which they did not. So... This stuff is, is happening, and I, I wanted to call this out. I actually named the company uh, in the tweet because I think it's a bad example for any founder to follow. What I'm kind of worried about is if, you know, like these founders talk and they said, oh, it's worked really well, dangle the carrot and take it away, it worked for me. I kind of want to be clear, it, it didn't work. Like those people left, and the company is still very successful. They, they're now a decacorn despite all this. Imagine what happened if those people stayed. They probably would have been even more successful. Wow. Well, you got to just tell us the company name, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> You're going to make us look it up on Twitter. I'm dying over here. I don't have Twitter available. <laughs> yeah. So so this was Revolut a few years ago. Mm. And the interesting thing is because I, I, I said the company name, because I, I did want to mention it. it. It's a real story. I've also checked with employees. They also said similar crazy stories happened. 
and and I, I, I do want to have both sides. So I, I said like, hey, if because all the ex-employees, they, they messaged me and they said like, yeah, it's spot on. That was what the culture was like. And that's why I left. And then I said like, hey, if someone's working there, just message me as well. Like I, I don't want to just like badmouth the company just for the sake of it. And so current employees messaged me and, and some of them said, we actually like working here. It's not like this. We heard these stories. So I added that as well because, you know, companies do change over time. But I would be the best to know. I worked at Uber. There was a there were a couple of years where everyone thought that Uber was the worst place to work in tech. From the inside, this was not actually true. We got pay rises. We we like suddenly we had equal pay introduced, for example, in the company. The things that happened before Uber, uh, people being discriminated uh, wherever they were, they happened later on as well. But people got immediately fired, for example. So there was a big change, and you can only see this from the inside. So I think you know companies do change, but mm-hmm. I think it's important to, to call out like it's not okay even to do this when you're when you're a small and growing company. And I think it's it's fair game to call it out. This is what it was like. I hope they change for the better. Well, I think bad behavior should be called out tactfully for sure, right? You shouldn't, like you said, badmouth anybody, but tell the truth, right? Put the truth out there if it's a bad act or a bad situation. You don't want other founders to be like, that was a good thing to do. I should try that. I mean, I don't know who would do that unless it was like, unless they were just like scum or something like that. Maybe they are. Maybe they're scum. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? It seems like a bad thing to do, though. Like, why would you incentivize somebody with a bonus? Give them a lofty goal. They set a goal and it's not good enough. So you send a, a larger goal. They go back and deliberate. Yes. Okay. We're going to do this and then sacrifice the thing that, that is the most worst thing to sacrifice, but some do it seasonally if you want to, or have to is time away from your family, yep. you know, or your kids. Like you don't get that time back. Like I look at my kids and I'm like, I can't believe my youngest is X right now or wherever they're at. You know, it's like, wow, they're, he's like a little boy now or whatever. Like yeah. those years just, or even those few months where they're just that for a brief moment, you sacrifice that for what you think is respect and financial opportunity for your family or for yourself or whatever, only to be only to be that kind of situation, which is interesting to look at because you have you tweeted about this at first. It's on your newsletter. You have a very successful Substack newsletter, the Pragmatic Engineer. So I guess you went from blog to Substack as last time you're on the show. You were just starting up with your blog. You were getting excited about it. You were yep. you were just finishing up a book and, you know, really deep into the writing thing. And now you've gone and substacked and you're in like the top 10, I believe. You got some great revenue even. You just started in like August or something. But the thing that kicked off this call was one, to get you back on the show. But then two, this idea of the perfect storm causing, in your words, an insane tech hiring market. So despite this kind of rug pulling we have an insane market out there. Yep. I have been writing on and off on my blog about like one article per month. And I was thinking, well, I might want to turn that up because I really enjoy writing about interesting stuff. It does take time to research. So I actually came with a compromise where I still write about once a month, a lot more detailed articles for anyone to read. So uh, there's a free tier where you can subscribe. And it also goes on my blog. You don't even need to so good close to a newsletter, although you do get it in your inbox. And then for people who are engineering leaders, I write about some more insider details that you don't really see. So if you're either an engineering manager or senior engineer at a high growth startup or big tech, it's the type of information that you're going to look out for. And a good example was the insane hiring market, which I basically write about open secrets in the industry. If you're in the right circles, you know this already. You've been talking about this with people, but a lot of people don't. And the hiring market is a very crazy one because it is everyone has talking about a crazy market but i actually did the research i, I talked with 
with hiring managers, recruiters, job seekers. I actually helped a lot of people negotiate their, their packages. And the crazy thing is that it has never been this crazy. When I say never, I'm not extracting. There was a dot-com boom where the hiring market was was insane, and most of us were not even working then. There, there, there are some people who are, and I talk with them, and that was a crazy market. This market is even more crazy for experienced engineers. And it's a lot of people think it's because of remote work and COVID, and people start to work remotely, and now you can hire in different areas. But it's actually just one of the, the many elements. What actually happened is there's just a huge amount of money being poured on the market that's coming from a couple of sources. First one was, and everything starts with COVID. Like COVID was this tick that that started a lot of parallel things happening. The one thing that it started, which is very interesting, I talked with a couple of head, head, head of engineering and head of mobiles at some large retail banks in the US and, and some more traditional companies. When COVID started, people stayed home with, because of the lockdowns and they started to use online services more. And for example, mobile, uh, one of the biggest US banks told me that what they saw is, is they saw a bunch of user complaints and, and their user numbers went up because people above 70 started to use their mobile apps and they, they didn't know how to use it. These people always went to the bank and now they're actually at risk of losing these customers if they couldn't do this. So they suddenly started to build features to make it easier for, for these people to do. And also what they noticed is it's a huge profit if people use the mobile app. Whoever uses the iOS app for this bank churns a lot less. They basically spend more money. So it, it, it's their goal to get them on there. And it's not true for people who only use web or who only use some other platform. So this bank started to, they actually relocated a massive amount of budget mid-year to hire more mobile engineers. They couldn't hire fast enough. So they actually re, are retraining some of their web engineers. And they, they are one company. So this is a traditional company. It's not a Facebook. It's not a Google then you have some of the other side of, of the money coming in, where some of the, the large tech companies also realize with COVID, the game is on, competition is, is fierce, they are pouring more money, the capital markets are, are going very strong, so startups are, are raising more money than ever. There's this joke that Series A in 2021, yeah. sorry, that the seed in 2021 is the new Series A five years ago, and I'm advising a couple of, of startups, and I'm in some of these groups. I'm seeing pre-seeds, people getting $4 million and $12 million in valuation for a pre-seed for an idea, having no product. So there's there's all this, all this money coming in, and basically everyone has realized that there is now limited time, the next three to five years, the winners will be decided in the global digital market, both in traditional companies who need to become more digital. They realize they need to compete with Google or Facebook. So the likes of Macy's, for example, Macy's, Ikea, some of these companies, they're hiring executives from the big tech, from Google, mm -hmm. from Facebook, from wherever they can. The banks are doing the same thing. The, the VP of engineering at Uber went to Goldman Sachs where they're probably going to build, you know, some consumer facing thing. So everyone is, is has arrived and everyone wants a senior people. So the market has literally exploded for senior people and it's everywhere. So in California, offers are year on year offers are up on 20, 30% depending on where you are. But this is in California. This is in in lower cost regions because of remote it's even higher. The craziest thing about this market, it's a booming market if if you're an experienced technologist engineers. It's also spilling over to obviously engineering managers, technical program managers, to some extent to designers as, as well. The one group that is not feeling any of it, and it's the worst market for them, is a junior or entry-level engineers. No one wants to hire them because of remote, every company knows they don't really know how to onboard them. And what everyone is spending money on is they're building more complex systems, large scalable systems. They need that expertise. And to top it off on the cherry on the top, on which, which just shows how absurd it is, there's actually 
fewer senior engineers on the market. So usually at a booming market, you know, people will come out of their hiding holes, you know, if, if they're doing something. The opposite is happening because people are, are burning out because of COVID. They're quitting with nothing lined up to just take a break for a couple of months from three months to 12. They're changing careers like myself and some of my, I have a, a bubble where I know some senior engineering managers who are now becoming coaches, whatnot. And this data point is a bit anecdotal. I, I have data points in my newsletter for all the other ones, but so it's a crazy market where demand is going up, supply is going down. We're not going to have more senior engineers in the next like year or so. And it's a race to the top, basically. So the likes of Google's, Facebook, Apple, they're, they're still able to hire, but crazy stuff is happening that I have never heard before. For example, Apple is known to not negotiate too much. They give you an offer, it's Apple, you accept it. I now have multiple cases where I was advising people on, on their sale negotiation where Apple not only negotiated, they bumped people up to an extra level. So someone was offered a senior engineering role and they got a staff and they didn't even have a competing offer. They said they're talking with other startups where they might have a competing offer. And Apple just said, all right, we're bumping your, your comp with 30%. You're getting a higher level without, without any interview. And this just shows how even those companies are, are having trouble both hiring people and also retaining people. A lot of people are, are, are leaving. So, so yeah, it's, it's never been a better market to look around and change jobs if you've got the skill set to interview, if you're experienced. And if you're starting out, it's super tough. Like, just get your foot in. It'll get better. But it's really interesting, mm. that market. So if you're a senior engineer right now and you're happy where you are, you should at least be thinking about maybe renegotiating or looking for a promotion because you have leverage. So renegotiating is also a big one. Usually, and this is this is where I think uh, I mentioned how I didn't like the advice that people give you, like the non-software engineering advice. Usually the advice that you will read up, like if you get a counteroffer, should you take it? And the internet tells you do not take the counteroffer because they quote some statistics. I know multiple people who went out to interview. Some of them didn't really, really want to leave, but they went out because they were hoping for a counteroffer because they love their company, especially with remote. They know what's there. They got a great counteroffer, 40% extra or something like that. They took it. They're super happy. It's great for the company. It's great for the person. So if you're at the company, I think you should talk with your manager and mention to them like, hey, I heard the market is hot. Are there any plans for budget increases? Because, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to interview. I really like what I'm doing. Because at the end of the year, most companies will have to do massive increases. A lot of companies are doing it right now. The people who got the message, you know, some people who read my newsletter, also <laughs> in other circles, they're giving out these increases now to hold on to people. Because if you give us someone 20% raise, they're probably not like a lot of people, like they don't want to risk it in, in this environment. It's, it's still risky going to a new company, etc. Basically, the cost of building complex software, hiring senior software engineers has just gone up again. <laughs> mm. So is it... Is it here to stay? Is this a boom that will you think will be busting anytime soon? Or do you feel like these is just like the rising waters and it's just going to be this high? And this is the interesting one because with the dot-com boom, we had a dot-com bust. And I don't think we're going to have a bust. I think the market will will go higher. So the pay levels, the demand for these experienced engineers will, will stay where it is. I think it's hitting the, the level that it is. I don't think it's going to go much, much higher. But it's not going to bust because there's a very real demand. The dot-com boom busted basically because it was a hype people thought the internet would be here and people would be buying online and web, web van expected they would get you know millions of customers and they got a hundred thousand but it's different now there are customers there are long-term and and these investments that the com these companies are making are long-term and i'll give you an example i'm talking with a pharmaceutical company who has a plan a five-year plan on how they're going to pump billions of dollars into their 
that they call it IT, but they're they're gonna turn into tech to actually be able to compete with some of these big people. It's not a budget for like next year. It's the next five years that they just got approved and they're they're gonna spend it and they're not the only ones. So it's in people are in it for the long term. So no, you know, I think the, the other message is that like if you're kind of worried like am I gonna miss on like a pay rise? I'm a senior engineer and do I need to go out right now? No, you don't. Take your time. This is gonna be here next year as well. It's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. The only thing that, that might change is once companies figure out how to onboard junior people, like people with no, with less experience, some companies are just going to hire less seniors because they are, they will not be able to afford them in the current levels. Yeah. yeah. Well, what are the data points are you paying attention to to bolster this idea of the perfect storm? Like one thing I think about is in 20, 2008, the housing crisis, there's a lot of talk about housing bubble, not a housing bubble, or just a real estate bubble. We have a lot of other metrics out there. Do you pay attention to other ancillary data points that might, they seem like a perfect storm based upon your title because maybe you're shielding from them, but I'm just curious, like what other data points do you pay attention to that might influence your thoughts and opinion? So I pay attention to capital markets and IPOs because whenever companies go public, the returns on investors, whenever investors have a massive return, they reinvest it into startup ecosystem. And I think what we're seeing right now is we're seeing so much money go into startups and a lot of that money will be lost. So we're, we're exiting a cycle where about five to 10 years ago, a lot of capital was invested in, in promising companies that did go IPO from Coinbase to Robin and all these. They, they worked out great. And now a lot more money is going into likes of crypto and electronic vehicles and and a creator economy and all these things. My personal take is we're not going to see as crazy returns in 10 years time. But, you know, like it's great to start a company. The other data point that I look at, which is just a very basic one, but it's a great one, is the Ukraine job market. Because there is one company called Ginny who basically own that market. Like most people get hired through that portal and they publish the people there actually share, they're very honest, they actually share how much they get. And they publish it like almost every couple of months. So market, you can, you can see the levels go up. And Ukraine is this very interesting market where it's a little bit cutthroat. So if you want to get a project done, you go to Ukraine because if you pay enough, you get it done because people have zero, like not everyone, obviously, but a lot of people don't have strict job loyalty. If someone pays them more, they will literally stop their project and go to the next one. So it's a super liquid market. So they actually showed almost real time on how the number of jobs posted on their platform. It actually the first time there were fewer people and more jobs posted was in January 2021, beginning of this year, when all the budgets were approved for all the massive big companies who decided we're going to spend on tech. So that, that's an interesting data point that I, I track together as well. And then I, I just have some of the, I'm building a salary portal. I, I'm getting a sense of like where the offers are, but those are the, the main ones. I think you, you need to look at some of the, the data points that are around you, but I wouldn't like over emphasize on some of these, but these two data points, the, the stock market, obviously, and just thinking through on how that money will exit and where it will go. And job markets where we have data on, and it doesn't have to be Ukraine, but it can be some other markets. But for example, U.S. is too big to have just one data source, and they're kind of skewed. So yeah, it's like everybody in the U.S. at least is a, is an investor. Almost every founder I, I've met with a decent exit or liquid because of their recent raise or something that provides them extra. Let's just call it F money, not F U money, but just some money, right? They're putting it back into the market because they're bullish because they're in the market. They see. They can see the tea leaves and read them themselves. It's an interesting take. What's the website you were talking about? You said Ginny was the Ukraine company. What, yeah. What's the URL for that? Call it out here on the show. DJI and then I. 
dot co or, or dot com. We can put it in the show notes and they publish a report. We can link to it as well. And they did a great job of, of just being really public. And I think it's a great indicator because that market is so liquid. So you're going to be with a few months delay, you're going to be able to see where Ukraine is going. And the interesting thing is that a lot of the U.S. companies who need to build stuff go to Ukraine. So it kind of indicates the U.S. market as well because it's so easy, because there's no you don't need to worry too much about IP you're just contracting. You're typically not not hiring full time. I mean, you, you do need to worry about IP in, in that sense. But and the U.S. companies are pushing up the, the price and the, the talent in Ukraine is known to be very senior. So people are going there because, you know, you're not you don't have to train them. You just tell them, all right, here's what I have. They're going to get it done if you have the money. And the interesting thing is Ukraine rates are now almost hitting Canada rates, which is incredible. Like salary rates, right? The hourly contractor rates. Yeah. OK. Why the comparison to Canada? Why is that such a I guess because Canada's like the next to the U.S. or. Well, because because it's not Eastern Europe. Gotcha. Pretty much. And, and it is close to the U.S. And it might be true. Probably Canada wage rates are higher, but we don't have as liquid data. But some of the more senior talent in, in Ukraine, like staff level engineers, are going for about $80 an hour. And the crazy thing is that in Ukraine, because of taxes, they actually keep most of it, 95% of it. <laughs> so wow, wow, it is a pretty good deal right now. People are not, as far as I know, they're, they're not believing they're, they're enjoying this uh, situation. They're in the middle of the storm. This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. Sourcegraph is universal code search that lets you move fast, even in big code bases. Here's CTO and co-founder Byung Liu explaining the problems that Sourcegraph solves for software teams. Here's a use case that we hear about all the time. It's this scenario where you're uh, a developer who's new to this area of code. Maybe you're new to the team as a whole and this is part of your onboarding experience. Or maybe you know, you've been on the team for a while and you're trying to uh, make a change to a code, uh, a part of the code base that you're less familiar with. So an issue gets assigned to you, you start coding away, but immediately you stop because the very first thing you have to understand is the context of the code that you're trying to, to, to change. Um, if you don't understand that context, it's likely that the change you make is, is going to get uh, rejected or it's just not going to be, uh, it's not going to make sense within the context of the broader code. This is a natural point where Sourcegraph comes in, you know, before Sourcegraph, how you do this, you know, you might go to your editor, you would clone down a bunch of related repositories to uh, whatever issue you're trying to fix, uh, open them up in your editor, and you'd use your editor as kind of this code uh, browsing utility. A lot of people do that. Um, other people might find that annoying, so they go to a code host interface, uh, you know, like GitHub, and read through the code uh, there. With Sourcegraph, you basically have this single search box that is your window or your portal into all the code inside your company. And so you can immediately jump to the relevant pieces of code. You can click around, you know, walk forward and backwards the reference graph of code, jump to definition, find references, um, use multiple tabs. You can share links with colleagues that you want to ask about a particular section of code. It's just this very natural interface for doing these uh, kind of mental model building exercises that we all do when we're trying to understand a particular piece of code. All right, learn how Sourcegraph can help your team at info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog. Again, info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog. So 
So now that we're all insiders on this open secret and we know that it's the hottest engineering job market perhaps in history, at least in modern history, how do we take advantage? Especially, I think we've been talking, I think, supply side quite a bit. Most of our listeners are probably supply side, right? We're engineers, we're seniors, we're maybe we're juniors. We're out there slinging code to a certain degree. But we also have people on the demand side trying to get new hires, trying to retain the people that work for them currently. What's your advice to these folks? Yes, I love that you mentioned retaining because I think a lot of people think about hiring. Most people, most hiring managers talk to saying, I cannot hire. The reality is you probably cannot retain, but you don't know it yet. So my first advice would be to prioritize retaining because if half your team leaves, you have now two problems. You can't hire and you cannot even backfill. So I will start with that. And, and the number one thing is that the market has gone up. You need to make a compensation adjustment. If you're smart, you're going to do it before the end of the year, because at the end of the year, everyone's going to do it. But if you do it earlier, you get some goodwill. You're going to need to spend the money anyway. And to do this adjustment, just buy, just get some high, just good quality data. A lot of the data sources are out of date. So, you know, like use your network or wherever you can. The other thing it's like this is the money is one thing, but it's, it's not everything like not by far. But this is a time where you do just be flexible, be flexible on forcing people back into the office. Don't force them too much or just, you know, figure out like what people care about, at least for the coming period. Be fle- more flexible on promotions. If you're you have someone who's a high performer and they're up for promotion, either don't put them up for promotion if they, they might not be up for it. But if you're going to reject a promotion, in this market, I'm pretty sure they're going to go out there and they're going to get a, get a different offer. And by the, by that point, you'll lose them. Reduce work stress is, is another one as well. Like there, a lot of people are just burnt out. They they really are. So like ideas of just giving the whole company a week off or like certain days off for like a month every Friday, something like that, will do it. And then finally, one thing that companies are doing, especially if you're a, if you're a public company or, or or people have equity or you're a startup is if you see someone like close to to burning out or leaving, offer them a sabbatical on a good terms. Like for example, like their their vesting continues, you keep paying their their insurance. A lot of people will come back. Some people will leave during the sabbatical, but it's most companies don't even think of it. So that's kind of on the retaining side. Mm-hmm. Now for the hiring side, it's super hard hard to hire. A lot of people are safe, but most people just hire the exact same way they did, which is like we have the same process. We expect candidates to come in. They go through this five or six step interview. Well, first of all, if you're struggling hiring, revamp your interview process, make it a lot easier and, and start to prioritize on onboarding. Like until now, almost all companies were like, all right, we're going to hire the perfect candidate and then we'll forget about them. Well, maybe change it around, hire them easier. Don't be as hard on the hiring criteria. And then like have a lot better onboarding, you know, help them, but, but also be more strict, like, you know, pay attention. Are, are, are they working out well? And I'm going to also plug in another thing that I haven't talked about, but remote work will have this very unique challenge that multiple founders have been telling me is a, a senior hire is not really working out. It's kind of slow, interesting because they did so well in the interview. And as they dig in, they found out they have a second job as well mm. with the full remote work. It happens. And this is. The reason I'm saying it, it's uh, I talk with founders who have like a team of 12 people who they all know personally, they go back and two people have been pulling this thing off. So, you know, there, there's going to be that part as well. So that's another reason. Pay attention after onboarding and I'm not saying micromanage, but if you're fully remote, like you do need to verify, like, are they focusing their attention on you? Mm. Hard to pull that off without some micromanagement. You know, I wonder how you sleuth without being sneaky or creepy, but you want to know what's going on. You also want to like 
have them report everything they do, but you don't want to have a webcam in their office. I mean, it seems like a difficult problem. It is a difficult problem. And, and this is the thing. I was never a fan, for example, of things like Pluralsight Flow or, or Velocity in the sense these were tools that report things like commit history and just shows you trends. They're actually getting better. But I, I do think you want to start using these things. Like get a sense of like, you know, for example, is someone only... And what a founder did, for example, they paired with some of these people or like managers paired with them for a day and saw how they're working as they're pairing, you know, how often they commit. And, you know, these people were committing, they, they just committed 10 things a day. And then they noticed that, interesting, the next week they only committed at like 7 p.m. every single day, like one commit at 7 p.m. That's kind of weird. And as they dug in more, in many cases, they found that they were doing a second job during the, during the day. Again, like, don't get me wrong, it, it will, will not happen to everyone, but I'm now hearing this happen an alarmingly rate especially when it's people who don't have a strong connection to the company, especially when there's no in-person events. So anyway, like this, I think this is a more of a headache thing. Just think about it. Yeah. But going back to things that you can do on hiring, yeah. you need to sell a lot more. The candidates are not going to come as much. You need to tell them, you know, why, why you're interesting. Equity is, is in a bit of a no-brainer for U.S. companies. But if you're a startup in Europe, companies are now starting to have to offer it. They didn't used to, but now they cannot compete without it. And, and finally, once someone is sign an offer, it's not over. Like a lot of companies kick back and what happens is they get another offer that's 20 or 30% higher and they're going to take that one or, or maybe just a better team. What the best companies do is as soon as someone signs an offer, they have the whole team reach out to them. They send them swag. They call them up on a video call with the whole team, you know, being there that they're so excited. They start to create that connection. So basically, as a hiring manager, you need to work a lot harder than before. You need to be more creative. And you, you should just, I think as long as you're aware that you're not the only person in town hiring, you'll be fine. A lot of companies still have the like, oh, you know, we're doing you a favor for offering you a remote job. And yeah, well, that was a big thing like two years ago. But now it's, it's, it's just every day. Yeah. And remote's part of the course now. It's uh, It's a given, especially in the tech scene. I know that there's a lot of jobs that are have more challenges. I think there was actually like a some subtweet that was actually not a subtweet on Twitter, obviously because that's where subtweets happen about SpaceX and having to come to the office to like build rockets. Like obviously, if you're going to build a rocket, you've got to go to the office. But there was some sort of revolt. I don't know what I'm speaking of, but it, there was something I saw on Twitter. <laughs> Tell me if you caught it in the in the comments. It'll be kind of funny, but it is an interesting space where you. I think that kind of speaks to caring more. And if you didn't have to show up so hardcore for a new candidate or a new hire, you didn't, which just seems just odd. Like you should just show up anyways, yep. because if you really want to hire the best people, it's because you want them to be connected to your team. It would just be natural. But I think we're in a more competitive market now. So you have to do, as you said, more creative things. Think more creatively. Right. Swag seems like the easy button to push. I think the next easy button to push is just have the team reach out. But I'd be curious to read more about what you find out about what they're doing more of to meet that connection. Cause you're right. If you send the offer, well, another offer comes in later that day. It's like, well, you know, I took that one instead. Sorry. Well, I think what happens in these situations is who is selling whom just changes that little power dynamic changes to a certain degree, because when you are a well-qualified software engineer with multiple offers and great opportunities at wherever you pretty much want to work, that hiring manager has to sell you on working for them. Whereas if you're been beating the streets for eight months and applying everywhere you can and can't find anything and you finally have somebody who's interested, you're selling that company pretty hard on why they should hire you. And so people who are in the buy side of this relationship at this point and Gergay's advice, I think, is all solid. 
really got to be thinking about ways they can stand out from the crowd and sell you on why mm-hmm. you should be working with them versus all these other opportunities that are right there for you. Now, there's a blog post that I read recently by Kurt Corginia, I believe is how you say his name, says that is answering the question, if software engineering is in demand, why is it so hard to get a software engineering job? And this is one that I think comes up often. And Gergay, you you touched on it, but it seems like a lot of the hiring processes suck and have sucked. And one thing that you said, which maybe we should focus on for a minute, is take time to improve your hiring process and remove the sucky parts, right? I mean, first of all, onboarding can be faster, so you can move faster. But it sounds like the whole matchmaking process with a company and a potential hire has been fraught for years with, like you said, many, many interviews. Oftentimes there's whiteboard style performance things or take home tests or they try lots of things. And it seems like maybe that's a a good way of setting yourself apart is by fixing whatever process you currently have, or at least improving where it is. This surfaces every, every month or every week, how the hiring process is broken and I'm going to challenge those people who say the hiring process is broken is talk with people in other industries, like any, any industry. And you'll see there's two types of hiring processes. There is the engineering hiring process, let's say mechanical engineers, chemical engineers, which is pedigree based. Do you have a degree? And where have you worked before? And the actual interview itself, it's not that much. But, you know, it works great. It does lock out people who don't have that pedigree. And it works because there, there's not an increased demand. It's kind of a stable supply, you know, and, and it runs from like people start their internships at university, et cetera. And then there's the other type of jobs, which which are, let's say, marketing, sales, like, like some other white collar jobs, which is completely subjective. You just show up and there, there's no documentation on how to pass the interview because it, it's just completely dependent on the whims of the people who are there. Hmm. Now, tech is in, in between these because I think the interviews are very well documented. You know what to expect. It's stressful. That's true. But you don't need a pedigree. You don't need a degree from MIT. I mean, if you have it, it probably helps a little bit, but but not by that much because they'll still put you the same pro- process. And you know what to expect. So actually, when we're complaining about this, uh, like whenever we suggest how to fix the interview, the the two ways to fix it is, first of all, some people say like, hey, I'm a senior engineer. I did all this stuff. Like I shouldn't have to do this test. Sure. Let's hire you because we know you're a buddy. They tell you you're good, which means you're hiring based on references, which means the other person who has the same background, but you don't know them or they don't have open source contributions, you won't hire them. And your process is now more, more biased. So actually, this is one of the reasons why all the large tech companies have the the same process. It's like a cookie cutter. It's documented. You can prepare for it because it's the same for everyone. Yeah. But what companies can and should do right now is they just actually relax the hiring process. They don't make it like, yes, they make it less sucky, but they're going to hire people who are not going to work out. By removing some of these steps, you will have people come into the company who just might not be up, who you might have rejected on, on the previous bar. Some people will also come through who will work out. But my point is that you need to onboard them better. You need to pay attention to how they're doing. And basically, you need to have a trial period. That is, you know, like, I don't know, like like a couple of months, one month, two months, three months, where you actually make the call of, like, is this person working on the job? So it's kind of like a paid, like, by removing steps, you can turn this a bit more into, like, a paid internship. And what I see with the hiring process, it's always a trade-off. So, like, it's not good or bad. It's it's kind of trading off of, of how much does the company invest in their time, how many candidates that could work out do you reject because you're you're going to reject some more or less and how many people do you hire who just don't work out 
And it's this triangle. So, you know, for example, when a lot of entry-level engineers will complain about the automated code tests, well, it's a bad experience. I, I totally agree with it. And I used it at Uber. You know, when I used it, I didn't use it for hiring software engineers, like in, like like full-time software engineers. I did it for interns because for an intern application, we got a, about 500 qualified applicants. And if we interviewed all of them, after the resume screen, we still had at least 100 who looked really good, really strong. If we did 100 interviews with, with them, like my team would have been doing interviews for two weeks, no product work. So it's a trade-off. Like, yes, it was a worse experience. We were able to give a shot for a lot more people. We were able to let 100 or 150 people take that test. And, well, unfortunately, we, we couldn't hire all of them. We didn't have the headcount. So this is the part where I think it's good to bring some hiring managers, by the way, like ask about this because it's super easy to complain about when you're not on the outside but once you're an inside a founder a hiring manager you start to see that you're kind of stuck like right you know there, there's physics involved it's, it's a bit like you know like we're complaining why do airplanes only go with like 700 miles an hour or something and well you realize after a while when you look into it that there's the sound barrier and if you break that there's this big explosion that can <laughs> wreck all the windows your example at uber is lopsided in the other direction you have thousands of people applying so in a hot demand market where everybody is expensive and you can, can't find someone to hire, it's going the other direction, right? I think at that point it behooves you yes. to simplify and make it suck less, get those people in the door. I think you agreed with the fact that maybe having some sort of a easier onboard and then maybe a trial period is a nice balance. It's definitely trade-offs, but it seems like you're optimizing in that case for a high supply market, not a high demand market. Yes. So what I was saying, I was just giving a bit of a, a solve with a trade up. But right now, what everyone needs to do is, first of all, they 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 need to make the process suck less. They need to remove automation because it doesn't help. You should invest your your team's time. You should take people off doing product work and having face to face interviews because it's a better experience. You have a connection. You're giving people the respect as well. Let, let's be honest. Like when you give someone a coding exercise or an automated thing, it's it's not respectful. And in the high demand market, so when I was at Uber and, and when we did get 500 applicants for four positions that we have, we could do that. But this is not the market anymore. So <laughs> I'm totally with you, uh, Jared. It seems like, too, that to your point where there's churn of those that get hired, they may not work out. Uh, almost like you said you would let some through the door that you would normally turn away because of some sort of criteria. It almost seems like you could take in more knowing that some will churn and num- some not fit. But if they're... And maybe this is sort of a bad thing. I mean, it sounds even kind of icky to even say it, but hire more than you should so that you know some will leave almost so you can take them off the market to know if they'll fit for you. And if they don't fit for you, they're going to leave anyways. Yeah. And it's an interesting one because I think this is the one where this market might challenge this. Like we always thought that the people who who are not doing that great on the day one, like, you know, like in the old school days where you had a lot of people, you would just fire them. Like a lot of companies would, depending on the country, it might be difficult. But here's an idea. What if they do work out? What if a better onboarding process makes all the difference? And I'll give you an example. Amazon has partnered with Lambda School. They're taking bootcamp grads who've never coded in their life. They do a few month bootcamp and then they design. They didn't just take them in. They designed a six month partnership program where they basically train them. They work with them on Amazon projects and then they'll be ready. And I'm pretty sure that the majority of those people will work out because they have an onboarding investment. Because like, don't get like I think most people who will come in with less experience, they will want to succeed. So this might be the wake up call for the industry to actually change things around and take throw away some of those things. Because the one thing that the whole industry has been terrible at is onboarding. It's been an afterthought. 
we kind of expect that people come here. That's why everyone wants to hire seniors that they know what to do. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like the baller move is what you just described there is look, everyone's trying to hire seniors. It's expensive. It's difficult. I'm having a hard time competing in that market. Why don't I just be the one person who's willing to onboard juniors at a higher clip and take a chance on some people? And yeah, I got to train them up more than I would have to train up a senior. But then I can train them in the ways that we do things and maybe instill a little bit of our corporate culture in a younger mind or a more agile, available mind. And that might pay dividends down the road. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. the long game that is actually a real solid move in this market if you can take on that risk. It's like uh, in the words of Ben Affleck on... What's that movie called again? Boiler Room. Boiler Room, yeah. We don't we don't hire brokers. We train new ones. That's right. There's so many more junior opportunities too. Like in a shrinking market of seniors, the newcomers or those that are newer into a field or even transitioning from web to mobile, for example, they're a better bet. Yep. There's more of them too. It's, it's the baller move. And these are the companies who are going to do well. Because don't forget, once you do this, you're not just solving your problem for, for the next like six or 12 months when the market is hot. You're solving it for good yeah. for as long as you want to. And if you can combine it with the win-win, you know, I, I talk with founders and they all tell me the same thing. But what if we hire them and we train them and they leave? Well, first of all, like there's a lot of what ifs in that sentence. Second of all, like there is like people are typically grateful when they get feedback and some will leave for sure, but not as many as you think, in my opinion. And people underestimate the morale impact. When you have a new joiner who's enthusiastic, they have a lot of energy, they bring up the morale of the team. They actually make the seniors better. So when a senior mentors, I actually had my wife who told me she's mentoring her first new joiner, and she said, it's making me a better engineer, like explaining stuff. So it actually levels up your existing people as well. And again, like I, I, I think it's, it's another open secret that it's mm-hmm. a bit harder to pull off, but but it's there. This is how you're going to win on this market. And obviously, like, don't just do this. This is just one thing that you should do. Obviously, keep hiring seniors and try to not lose them. But this way, you don't have to hire 20 seniors. You just have to hire, like, five and, you know, like, 20 people with less experience. Well, also, too, going back to the long-term versus short-term viewpoint, that's a longer view on the market. You know, it's just incentivizing, like, let's take a chance on a longer-term process And, you know, that junior developer, even if they do leave, they're going to be impacted so deeply by that opportunity. It's going to be a story they tell, especially if the onboarding is right and the culture is right and the treatment of people in the the company is right, which is culture. If that all is right, then that experience is never going to leave them, even if they make a choice to go somewhere else for whatever the reasons are. Yeah. Right. They're going to take that story with them and share it. And that's what you call brand. It's not your identity. You're not your logo. It's what people think about you when you're not in the room. Yeah. And then just one one final thought that I, I kind of mentioned in my newsletter as well is if you're a hiring manager or someone who's in, in charge, you're hiring people. Like if you pull this off, you're going to know something very few people know how to create a program that onboards juniors and you're going to be so much more valuable. So your career prospects will open up. If you say at this company, I introduced this program where we start to onboard juniors. We had lower churn rates. It actually worked out great. Because most people don't know how to do it. Most people don't try. This is the crazy thing. You just need to try and you're going to become more like just being really selfish. You'll be more valuable on the market. It'll open opportunities both at the company. You know, the next promotion comes up. Who's going to be promoted? The person who shipped yet another project or the person who actually just solved the long-term problem of how to hire engineers. 
The same thing when, when you're moving companies, you know, like you'll have a great shot at moving up the to get if you're an engineering manager to get that director of level because you just did something really strategic and really it's something that's difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Who's the example you point people to if they're saying, how do I interview right? How do I onboard right? Who are the standards you point people to now that seem to be doing it right or clearly are doing it right? It's tough because I think it depends on on how your, your size of the company. So. This is something I'm going to look up uh, later as well to have a better answer. When you're a larger company, I do look at a company that does it really well at large scale is Facebook, but they have the advantage of the brand, but they designed a really unbiased process. They have really, really strong diverse hiring ratio, which just basically means not just white men compared to the rest of the industry. And they do it because they prepare the candidates well, they work with a lot with them before the interviews, and they have a super transparent process. So when they interview, let's say an engineering manager or an engineer, they will literally send out exactly how, like they have their whole process defined and they share it with candidates as well. So they're open about it. The downside, uh, the reason I wouldn't recommend them for anyone small, it's, it's a heavyweight process and they have the brand that can pull it in. But they're an example of how to how to hire diverse group and their onboarding is exceptional. So one thing that Facebook does amazingly is when you start as, let's say, an engineering manager, because it's, it's a position that you typically have no onboarding for a year, they hold your hand and they make you successful. S- same thing, obviously, with interns, with, with some of those things as well. There isn't too much why they advertise. I'll have to look into like, like some examples. This is a good topic for me to also research. So thanks for that. There you go. That's a good reason to subscribe to the newsletter, even if you're not paying yet. But yeah. subscribe and get the free version and you can tease it at least. So that's good, though, because, you know, when somebody asks you a question, you feel like you always have to have the answer. And I think saying, you know what, I don't know exactly yet, but a future newsletter entry will I'll showcase this. I'll, I'll do some digging. So I like that answer. This is that. Here at the end of the show, Gary, let's call it some URLs. We got... Where's the best way to get people into your, I guess, link funnel? Where would people find you at? And then your newsletter, you're on YouTube, are you on TikTok? I mean, where can people pay attention to your content creation? Well, hit up uh, one or two places, whichever is your favorite. If you're on social media, Twitter at Gerge Oros, so, so my name, you'll find all the links to the newsletter to my website. And the other one is my website, pragmaticengineer.com. It has all the links to, to, to YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, newsletter. I also do a, another newsletter, which is interview preparation. This is just, it's completely free. Whenever I have time, I, I write about senior engineering, engineering manager, interview preparation advice to get into high growth startups and big tech. It's kind of my, my way of, of giving back as well. So especially in this job market, because mm-hmm. one thing that people will find is they decide like, all right, I want to get out there. I, I obviously want to level up. I, I want to get an even better culture, better paying job. Those interviews are a bit tricky, especially if you're not used to them. So like, you know, there, there's this thing like the easiest way to get into Facebook is first get into Google <laughs> and then and then it's easy. Yeah. The point being is, is when you're going to a place where you've never been before, that's there. So I also just give some advice there. Obviously, most of the insights will, will come from my newsletter, both free and paid at newsletter.pragmaticengineering.com. And this is for anyone in tech. If you'll have feedback and or content suggestions, feel free to drop it there as well. Is there anything we haven't asked you about yet that you're like, you know what, I got one minute, two minutes to Call something out. Is there anything that we haven't asked you that you want to tell the show with? I'm actually good. So you put it all out there. Yeah. All right. You heard it here first. It's all out there. Pragmaticengineer.com. We'll link everything up in the show notes. Check those out. Gary, thank you for coming back again. It's been a year, but hopefully we can have you back on next October, next November, something like that. We'll make it an annual thing. I like catching up with you. It's been a lot of fun. So thank you. I think it'll be a busy year. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing something new. I can tell you, I'll talk with a lot of people. 
I'll get a lot stronger opinions on some parts in the industry, and I'll probably have a few more Twitter threads that you might like, or, or you know, who knows even. I'll like them. I'll bookmark them. I'll earmark them for a future conversation. Thank you for putting it all out there. I really do. I, re- I appreciate your storytelling style, and uh, I just I've leveled up by just paying attention to some, to some of the things you're paying attention to. So I appreciate just following on Twitter alone, let alone your newsletter as well. But thank you so much. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. What do you think about the tech hiring market right now? Are you negotiating like Gary Gary recommends? Are you quitting to make other moves? Let us know in the comments. If you haven't yet, head to changelaw.com slash plus plus to support us directly and make the ads disappear. Up next is Robbie Russell talking about Oh My Z Show. Also on deck is another special episode we're producing called Song Encoder. You're going to love it. Thanks again to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our awesome beats. And thank you to you for listening. If you enjoyed this show, share it on Twitter, Reddit, Hacker News, whatever works for you. Word of mouth is by far the best way for podcasts like ours to grow. The Galaxy brand move, of course, is to subscribe to the Master Feed. Get all our podcasts in a single feed. Check it out at changelaw.com master. Thanks again for tuning in. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week.